glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 13. And they brought young children to him that he should touch them, and his disciples rebuked those that brought it and brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased and said unto them, Suffer the little children to come unto me, and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. And he took them up in his arms, put his hands upon them, and blessed them. And and when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one. That is God. Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Defraud not. Honor thy father and mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said unto him, One thing thou lackest. Go thy way. Sell whatsoever thou hast and give to the poor. Thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. He was sad at that saying, and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. Now, I have a question about verse 21. Was verse 21 a commandment or a suggestion? I mean, the man asks, what must I do to have eternal life? And in, in essence, if you look at this, what Jesus was revealing is, If you're going to have eternal life, you must submit to the righteousness of God, which means you're going to have to repent of your idolatry. The man thought he was a law-abiding, God-fearing man, and he worshipped money over God. You say, how do we know that? Because when given the option between God and the flesh and money, which did he choose? Money. So he's an idolater. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, stood before him, said, forsake your false God and come to me. And he said, no. Now, if you and I watch this man, I've preached this text many times, so I don't want to belabor it, but if you and I were watching this, we would say, that man just got saved. He was a seeker, was he not? Now, what you had in the text prior is little children who the only thing, the reason they wouldn't come is if some adult got in their way and stopped them. You tell a little child, come to me, and they trust the person saying, come, they'll come, right? We could illustrate that this morning. Uh, I could ask some of my children, come here and follow me, and they would, even though they might be a little embarrassed in front of everybody and a little uh, afraid, they would do that because I'm their dad, they trust, and these little children, there were parents that said, we want you to touch our little children, and the children trusted Jesus enough to come to him, and the adults, the disciples got in the way, said, oh no, no, don't trouble the master, so then a great one came, some notable character in the community, a man of renown, he comes running to Jesus. Nobody got in his way. And he had a desire. You know as well as I what he wanted. And I want to move through these quickly, uh, these points. I don't want to belabor anyone too long. But the desires, the man says, what shall I do? What good things shall I do to inherit eternal life? Tell me what he wanted. He wanted to live forever. I think all of us do. By the way, we say you're going to live somewhere forever. I, I don't want to be technical. But it's either eternal life or eternal death. We're not going to, no one will live in hell. Being in hell is death. 
and it's eternal. Eventually, it'll be the lake of fire. So when we tell someone, well, your soul is eternal, it will live somewhere eternally. That's not true. It will exist somewhere consciously for eternity, but to be separate from God is death, not life. Life is to be in the very presence of God, and eternal life is not obtained by doing some good thing. It's obtained by faith. That's the entire illustration of this. Children were willing to come to Jesus trusting him without question. Therefore, little children could obtain eternal life, and they can still today. You'll come to Jesus by faith when he says, come to me, put your trust in me. You know what it requires? I said earlier, I gave the illustration in the introduction. What would it take on my part to follow you without asking any questions where you're taking me? Faith. I would have to trust you to be my way. Because I don't know which way you're going to go. I just know wherever you're going, that's where I'm going. That's what would be required is faith. We know that the rich young ruler never came to faith in Jesus Christ. You know how we know that? He wasn't willing to come. He was not willing. When Jesus said, he came on. Did you say, come running to him? Yeah, with religious interest and intrigue. You may be in church this morning curious about what the Bible has to say. That's not salvation. Salvation is when you believe God's word enough to say, to, to say when God says, if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be saved. You take him at his word and you come to the living son of God by faith because you can't see him. You have to come by faith. You can't see him. But you believe God enough, you'll come to him and say, I'm trusting you to save me and I'm wanting you to do so. You come to him like a little child. The rich young ruler did not come to Jesus like a little child. He came to him like a worthy adult. He was someone who says, look, I've been good. I've, I've honored the commandments. And again, my point is not to preach on him, but I do want to consider verse 21 where Jesus gave him clear instruction. He had a desire it was to have eternal life. The Lord gave him direction. He says, well, you want eternal life? Well, you ask what good thing you can do? Keep the commandments. If I told you this morning, all you have to do to earn eternal life is obey all of God's laws without fail, would that encourage you or discourage you? That's going to depend on two things. How well you know the law and how well you know yourself. If you know nothing more than the two great commandments and you know anything about yourself, you're discouraged already. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. How many of you are absolutely confident that God is more important to you than you are to yourself? That's not our nature, is it? Then the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Well, who then is my neighbor? <laughs> I think if we just know those two great commandments on which all the law hangs and all the prophets, we would say, yikes, if obeying God perfectly is how you win eternal life, we're in trouble. That's the whole purpose. The law is there to show you that you you have something wrong with you called sin. And it is there to bring you to the Lord Jesus Christ. You start working your way through the specific ten commandments and you'll find out that God's expectation of us as children is to honor parents, his expectation of us toward him is to not take his name in vain. So let's just ask the question, if I have taken God's name in vain, meaning I'm in the parking lot in Butte last week and a woman was upset. She was trying to buy water and couldn't get it. And she comes out cussing loud enough for the entire parking lot to hear her. And boy, she's talking about Jesus, but she wasn't. She's just using his name because she's angry. Is that woman a lawbreaker? God says, thou shalt not covet. You ever wanted something God was not giving you or had forbidden you to have? Of course. Uh, Thou shalt not commit adultery, and we can get into the spirit of the law. Thou shalt not kill. Uh, The fact of the matter is, 
this rich young ruler comes saying, Jesus says, keep the law. And he says, well, all the things you just... He asks, which? That indicates there's a problem. <laughs> which of God's law should be obeyed? All of it. So the very fact that he asks the question, he's not acting like a little child, is he? If I said to a little child, you're supposed to obey your parents, you know what they assume? Everything they say. Not, well, which instructions of my parents? You have to get an adult to get clever enough to ask which. Right? Or at least close to adulthood. And the fact is, the man is here and he's given direction. What the Lord Jesus finally says, he says, I tell you what, he, the man that sees himself as righteous, so the Lord cuts straight to the heart of it. He says, go take all your wealth, sell it and give to the poor. Don't just throw it away. Do something useful with it. And you'll have treasure in heaven. I'll reward you for your obedience. And come, take up the cross and follow me. What you're going to have to do, you'll never follow me as long as you're in love with your money. So you're going to have to get rid of the money so you can follow me. And he puts before him a choice, money or me. Eternal death or eternal life. And he commands him, come, take up the cross and follow me. The Lord Jesus put a choice in front of the man. You can either trust me. By the way, if he trusted Jesus, what would he have done? He would have went and sold his stuff, given it to the poor, and came and followed Christ and said, that man is worth more than anything I got. The kingdom of God is like a man. He had a uh, the memory went after that pearl of great price, sold everything he had so he could just buy this one field with that pearl of great price. Now, this is not the way it always works, but here's a man that Jesus was dealing with that thought he was righteous. So he's putting into the test, I'm going to prove to you you're an idolater, and I'm going to prove to you that the only thing that can spare you or, or deliver you from your idolatry is me. That's the point of this. Jesus is not teaching works-based salvation. He is challenging him to trust him enough to do what he says. And the man says, did he ever verbally say no? But his response was no. So we call this response to the command to follow the rejection. This is a rejection. The Lord Jesus finds a man who has a desire to have eternal life, but he's not willing to meet the conditions. Heartfelt trust in Jesus Christ. Is that not the condition of, of, of eternal life? That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. May I say every day, I still believe in this country, every day there are people that make this choice. They are confronted with their sin. They are told the only solution for your sin is Jesus Christ. You need to turn your back. May I say, it was not this man's money that was his sin, it was his love of it. Zacchaeus had money. He didn't give it all away. Remember Luke chapter 19. In, in your Bible, in Luke, it's Luke 18. You have the story of the rich young ruler. Luke 19, the story of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus gave away part of his money. The money wasn't the problem. It's the love of it that's called covetousness. May I say this? Jesus will turn you from your sin to himself. He did not come to simply spare you from the consequences of your sin. He came to save you from the sin. Does that make sense? He did not simply come. The Bible says he came to give repentance to people. And what he's trying to do is lead this man to realize you are an idolater against God and I am the only one that can heal you and save you from your idolatry. And the man would never even admit he was an idolater. He left an idolater and on his way to hell because he would not trust Christ enough to move at his command and come to him. I'm not teaching and preaching this morning that discipleship is a way of salvation. I am saying the call to discipleship is a test of one's faith. You, look, anybody in this room this morning can say, I trust Jesus Christ. True? 
Now, works do not save, but a faith that has not produced works has something wrong with it. Yes? You say, Pastor, meet me here at 1 o'clock today. I say, well, what for? You say, I just have something I want to show you. Well, what for? You say, well, you'll be glad you did. Well, I'm busy. Please, come at 1 today. Will you just come? And I argue with you. You say, you don't trust me, do you? No, I trust you implicitly. Well, then meet me here at 1. No, not unless you tell me what we're doing. I can say whatever I want. But you know what the problem is? I don't trust you. Let's say I show up at one. You say, okay, follow me. I want to show you something. And let's say you have wonderful things in mind. And I say, no, no, I'm not just following you blindly like that. I don't know what you got up your sleeve. You say, just follow me. You can, Pastor, trust me. And I, I trust you. I trust you implicitly. But I ain't following you anywhere unless you tell me where we're going. Do I really trust? No. We, we can, look, you can say whatever you want. Anybody can say, I trust Jesus. I love Jesus. I'm watching this. As being a Christian becomes less popular in our country, you watch it become less and less popular. When it's not good business to be a Christian, some will decide I'm really not one because they never were one in the first place. Are you with me? By this man's exterior, you would think he was a righteous man, but he was an unrighteous man who loved money more than God. And Jesus said, you cannot serve God and mammon. And Jesus came into this world to bring us to repentance of our idolatry, not tolerance in it. And so he calls this man to come and follow. And so the command to follow was there, but the man flatly rejected the command. If you look in verse 22, the Bible says, and he was sad at that saying. Sad at what saying? Come, take up the cross and follow me. Meaning, I'm going to cost you your idol. You come to me, I'm going to cost you your idol. And the Bible says he was sad at that saying uh, and went away. The Bible says in verse 22, and went away grieved for he had great possessions. The the teaching of Scripture, the the instruction of Scripture could not be more plain. He said no to Christ because he was a lover of the things of this world and he rejected God's only way of salvation that he might have his riches. If you read about the rich man in Luke 16, some have said, what if you put the man of Mark 10 in Luke 16? There was a man who had great riches and fared sumptuously every day. And one day he died, and in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments. He was extremely familiar with who Abraham was. He was familiar with the law and the prophets, but the man died and went to hell. Why? Because he rejected the mercy of God. He never came to a place with agreeing, in agreeing with God that he was worthy of judgment. And so here we find the rejection. Jesus says, come follow me. And the man, the Bible says, went away very sorrowful. He rejected the command of Christ to come and follow him. By the way, just to, to help with this, there are some that say when the Bible says, for God so loved the world, in John three sixteen, that it means he loved those that he would eventually save in the world. He didn't love everybody. What does the Bible say about this man in Mark 10 that would ultimately reject Jesus' call of salvation? The Bible says Jesus, looking upon him, loved him. May I say this? God loves you this morning. That is not enough to save you from God's judgment. You must respond to that in faith. Enough to say, if he judges me to be a sinner, he's right. And if he judges me to be an idolater, he's right. And if he says the only way to have eternal life is by faith in him... He's right. And this man in Mark chapter 10 never could follow because he never came to faith in Christ. You cannot become a disciple until you are first a believer. Does that make sense? That's the order. You become a believer first, then you become a disciple. This man never even became a believer. He never came 
Therefore, he couldn't take up a cross and he could not follow. This morning, it's possible you're not a disciple of Christ because you're not actually a believer in Christ. And I don't care what your religious background is. I don't care what your religious knowledge is. If you don't actually trust Jesus Christ, you're not saved. Because that is God's requirement for salvation. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. I did not say discipleship saves you. I said you cannot be a disciple until you're first a believer. You'll never follow someone you don't trust. Amen? But if you do trust, then shouldn't you follow? By the way, what is following? It is allowing someone else to take over the direction and objectives of my life. When someone else is leading, they're determining where I go and how I get there. Now, can Christ be trusted that much? We all know the answer right here, don't we? But it's got to be right here. Number two, we've seen the rejection of his command to come follow. Number two, we find the reasoning. Look at Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. Here's another man the Lord Jesus said, come follow me. And he doesn't flat out reject. But I'll be honest, the result is almost identically the same. Luke chapter 9. We find prior to this a man calling himself into the discipleship of the Lord. Luke chapter 9. Make sure I'm in the right place. Luke chapter 9, verse 57. We find three different instances of here. uh, People either declaring they will be a disciple uh, or Jesus commanding them to come follow. Luke 9, 57. It came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, now what's he calling? Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. That's a great statement, isn't it? I will follow thee. I'll let you lead and direct and govern my life. And Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. So he's saying, You count the cost before you follow me. Verse 59, And he said unto another, Now this is different. The first one said, I will follow. But what's this? Verse 59, He said unto another, What's the two words? Follow me. Is that a commandment? It is. Follow me. But he said, Lord Suffer, and I've circled in my Bible the next two words, me first, to go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their dead. But go thou and preach the kingdom of God. Then another says after that, verse 61, another said, Lord, also said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. And Jesus said to him, no man, having put his hand to the plow, And looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. How many of you, if I said this afternoon, now there is, when we look at this text, there's a lot of explanation that let me first go bury my father very likely meant let me go take care of my father until he dies and take care of his departure and burial. I got some family matters to attend to. So it seems to me that the bury my, my father first was not only, it did literally mean put him in the ground, but very likely meant everything that went along with that. Let me take care of the, the affairs of my dad's household. How many of you think this morning, if uh, we met here, I said to somebody, meet me here this afternoon at 1 o'clock, and they're like, you know, my dad's just passed, and I'm right in the middle of taking care of all that stuff. And can we meet on another day? How many of you think it would be reasonable for someone to ask for an excuse and wait until later? Dad passed him. Absolutely. Especially if it's just me asking. But here, Jesus is saying, come follow me. When did he want that man to do that? 
Did he not know that the man had a dad to bury? Of course he knew that. Now, when we treat Jesus Christ like we treat any other man, we're erring greatly. When we say, Lord, I, I've got some things. Man, something. How many of you believe that burying your father is more important than an appointment with me on 1 o'clock on Sunday afternoon? I'll agree with you on that. How many of you think burying your father is more important than an appointment with Jesus Christ at 1 o'clock this afternoon? Now, we're talking about something different. Here's the thing. When your creator says, follow me, you don't say, later. When your Savior who died for your sins says, follow me, when we recognize who he really is, it changes the entire dynamic. He's not just another man. He is the Son of God. And so what happens here in verse 59, and he said unto another, follow me. How many of us understand what that meant? That had immediate binding effects on this man. Jesus Christ has just given him an instruction. I'm going this way. You leave where you are. Come with me. Abandon whatever you're doing. Let me direct you. Let me determine where you're going. Follow me. And the man's response was to us probably reasonable, but it was not reasonable to the Lord. And here you're going to take one of two positions. Either the Lord Jesus is an austere, hard-nosed man who has to have everything his way, or he's more than just another man. (laughs) And I'm going to tell you something. Uh, These kind of statements put our faith in him To the test. Do we really trust him for who he is? So the first man flat out rejects the call to follow. He leaves disappointed and departs the Lord Jesus without obeying because he doesn't trust Christ. But here, here, Jesus said unto another, follow me. But he said and he calls him what he is, Lord. But this question, if he be Lord, shouldn't I obey? Now this middle point is where most people live. Most people that I preach to, at least that I preach to, I shouldn't say most people, but most people in this room, likely as not, are not living in Matthew or Mark chapter 10 saying, no, I love money. I I, I want money more than Christ. I doubt there's many, if any, in this room. You may be there. And if so, you need to repent of your idolatry and let Christ forgive you and save you and trust and follow Him. Let me say, secondly... Here is someone that says, I'm intending to follow. Did he say, I can't or I won't? Here's what, what was his answer to the Lord Jesus? I will follow, but not now. Not now. When you're young, you have too much life ahead of you to follow Christ now. He might mess up your plans. He might not let you marry who you want to. He might not give you the career that you think you want. He might not guarantee the future you think will make you happy. Once you get to going after that and you're in your adult youth, you think, well, I can't follow him now because I'm busy taking care of things in this life. When you get middle-aged, well, you can't follow him then because you've got to look out for your old age and your security. And when you're old, you're too tired to follow him now. Now, I say this, if your answer to Jesus Christ is not now, it'll always be not now. There will always be people to bury... There will always be earthly affairs to attend to that are more importantly than heavenly things. There will always be paychecks to earn and houses to buy and wills to look after and earthly things to tend to so that I would serve the Lord wholeheartedly. But there are things, Pastor, I just don't have time. You know, that's saying, not now. Not now. By the way, if the Lord's leading, where is He going to lead you? He's going to lead you into the Scripture. He's going to lead you into a prayer closet. 
promise you he'll lead you to a local church because he died to create it. And he said not to forsake the assembly of it. He'll lead you to lost souls to give the gospel. He'll lead you into a life of holiness and godliness and love for others. That's where he'll lead you. What happens is we know that the life that he leads means there's certain things in this earth if I'm following him I can't tend to. How many know you only have you can only spend 24 hours of a day on so many things? How many know you can't sleep and work at the same time? Yeah, we work or sleep. You, you know, you can't do that. How many know that when you're in church you can't be out recreating at the same time? How many know that when you're reading your Bible you can't be pursuing something else at the same time? How many know that when you are busy trying to win someone that is lost to Christ you can't be out earning money at the same time? I'm not saying you don't earn money, make a living. God said man would not work, he should not eat. I think you understand what I'm saying. Here's a man that says earthly affairs are more important than heavenly ones. They come first. And really it wasn't about his father first. It was about let me first. So in verbiage, who was Lord in his life? With his mouth, who's he calling Lord? Don't lose me this morning. But in reality, who was Lord? Because who was determining when he would follow? Christ or him? Don't check out on me. He was in charge. Jesus said, come, follow me. And he began reasoning with Jesus why now was not the best time. Now's not the best time. Young people, right now is the best time for you to let Jesus Christ rule your life. Not just save you from sin, rule your life. Determine your attitude. Determine your conduct. Determine who you'll marry. Determine what you'll do for a living. Determine how you'll spend the days that you live on this earth. Now, not later. Aged person, 60 plus. You know when it's right for Christ to lord your life? Now. And all of us in between. You know when it's right for Christ to rule my life? Whenever he's truly lord, that's when he ought to be in charge. And when is that? Now. The question, is he lord? Now, some is Jesus Lord of Satan? Oh, yes. He is. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. Is Jesus, whether he recognizes it or not, Lord over our president? That man can't be president one day more than the Lord Jesus Christ allows him. Is Jesus Christ Lord over the Prime Minister of Great Britain or over the dictator in North Korea? He is. He's King of kings and Lord of... They don't know it and they don't recognize it, but that doesn't change a fact. For those of us who are born again, I find here a man who expressed faith in Jesus Christ. But what what does this reasoning business leave you doing? Here's a man that says, I will follow you. I'm intending. Jesus said, follow me. And he said, Lord, let me first bury my father. Then I will. What he's saying is, I'm going to, but just not yet. When I tend to some things that are more important than obeying you, I will. It was more important today than obeying the God who made you and who died for you on a cross. What's more important than that? We all know the answer. I'm not asking for the words of our mouth. What do our lives say are more important than Jesus Christ today? Now, I just remind you this morning, the local church, a local New Testament church is His body. You want to minister to the body of Jesus Christ, you minister to a local church. That's Bible. You know a good test of whether or not Jesus is Lord is how much am I ministering to His body? We can call Him Lord all day we want, but if I'm neglecting His body... I've got Lord in my mouth, but other things are more important than Him. That's truth. And we just need to be honest about it. We need to quit lying to ourselves and saying, He's my Lord, He's my Lord. What He says is, if I'm Lord, then follow me. Obey me. 
Amen? Amen. So we find the first man, he's a rejecter. Jesus says, follow me, and he says, no. The second man, Jesus says, follow me, and he says, yes, later. Do you understand what yes, later is? It's code for no. But it makes us feel better about ourselves. It makes me feel like I'm a disciple when I'm not. How do you know a disciple? All right, here's what we'll do a little test this morning. If you are one of my children, I want you to come here, please, real quick. If you're one of my children, come here. Come here, Brooklyn. Come here. Come here, Benson. Come here. If you're one of my children, come on up here for just a second. Great. Come on. Good. Good. All right. What are you people doing up here? Why didn't you come? Because you're not one of mine. Right? What happens is, and I just do that real quick illustration, only my children are here. What indicated that they're actually mine? I made the condition, if you're mine, come here. Right now, I don't have to say give your full name, date of birth, mother's date, social security number. I just gave this condition. If you're mine, come here. And all that are mine, here they came. You know what's the greatest indicator you're really one of his? He says, march and we march. He says, come, we come. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Thank you. You may be seated. All right. My point is this. Every one of my children in here, I didn't have to say, Kaysen, Braden, Colton, Dawson, Adeline, Shaylin, Jansen, Benson, Brooklyn. I had to call Brooklyn by name to get her attention. But she came. You know why? Because they know the relationship we have. That's the way it works with the Lord. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Now, don't, lose, don't miss this morning. I'm not preaching that your perfect obedience is what secures your salvation. We're going to be very careful at this point. But you and I both know that anybody can call him Lord, Lord, but they don't actually believe it. And I'm not saying the man in this story didn't believe Jesus was Lord. I'm saying his life confuses us because he said one thing and did something else. You can know him as your Savior, as Peter did, and not obey him. And he is still your Savior. So I'm not, please, don't, don't bend this message in, that man's preaching lordship, work, salvation. No, I'm saying if he's your Lord, what will give clarity is when you respond to him as such. When we say yes, but not now, we are really responding more like the unbelieving, idolatrous young ruler than we are like a true disciple. When Jesus is truly Lord, then we need to treat him as such. When his word gives us instruction, we don't need to delay our obedience. We need to act because he's Lord. And so then the reasoning response is, I will, Lord, but not now. Then thirdly, we find the the right response, the resignation to his command. We've seen a rejection of his command to follow. That's an unbeliever. Reasoning with his command to follow That's someone who, it seems to me, has belief mixed with unbelief, and it leaves us confused. I call him Lord, but I'm not actually acting in obedience. And by the way, it'll not only confuse people that watch you, it'll confuse you. I believe one of the number one reasons people doubt their true salvation is that their actions do not align with their profession, and it makes them wonder in their own conscience, what's wrong with me? Do you know how to fix that? When he gives an instruction, just obey it. Amen? Amen. 
Luke chapter 5, verses 27 and 28. And after these things, he went forth and saw a publican named Levi, same as Matthew, just two different names, same person. A publican named Levi sitting at the receipt of custom, and he said unto him, Follow me. It's those same two words. It's the same two words he gave to the rich young ruler. Same two words he gave to our man in Luke chapter 9. He gives to Levi, but a completely different response. Verse 28. And he left all, rose up, and followed him. Now, let's break this down and study the Greeks. We understand what happened here. This is complicated, isn't it? Jesus is walking along. Here's a man doing his work. He's in the middle of his earthly vocation. And Jesus says, you come, you, Levi, come, follow me. And he got up, left his job, followed him. That's the same thing James and John did. They left a family business along with dad and their hired workers to do what? Follow him. You know what, whatever has you in your life hesitating to just live a singular life of obedience to Christ, it's not worth keeping. It may be something in the future. You may be a young person and think, if I follow Christ, I can't do this. I know for me, I've shared this with you many times, I had dreams of a career in my mind. I had already picked the school I was going to attend, the university I was going to attend. It was known for what I wanted to do. I wanted to study architecture, be a, uh, uh, get, into, get into that, and it was a, a great school for that, Tennessee Tech University. I already had all that picked out. But there were some things about my path that I was planning that I knew was not right in the sight of God. And I wasn't sure that he didn't want me to be an architect, but I was sure he didn't want me trying to run my own life. And my Lord said, follow me, meaning you let me rule and lead your life. And where you go and how you get there will be up to me, not up to you. See, some of you say, here's where I want to go. I want to make this much money or have these many possessions or have this lifestyle by the time I get this age. That's not discipleship. We've been so taught to plan our lives and ask God to place his signature on it. That's not discipleship. Discipleship says, I have no idea what my life will look like other than I know who's going to be in front of me the whole time. Jesus Christ. That's a sheep and shepherd. The sheep don't care if they're in low pasture or high pasture as long as they're behind their shepherd. They really don't care because they trust him to take care of them. You say, well, I trust Christ today, but I'm still going to chart my own course. You may trust that he is who he says he is, but not to the point of practicality. Amen? Yeah. Here's what Matthew does. He probably had more to lose. I don't know the rich young ruler had more to lose, earthly goods. Matthew had a job. We would assume it probably paid pretty good. I see four things that Matthew did, and we'll go down to verse 29 in just a minute. Number one, he denied himself. He had a job. He had a position. He's a publican, a tax collector. And what he did is he says, you know what? I will turn away from... By the way, is there anything wrong or sinful about being a tax collector? Not in and of itself, no. But what the Lord says, leave. What he said is, if following him means I can't keep my job, then I'll follow him. If following him means I can't keep my, my, my future, if following him means... Let me put it this way. If following him means I can't have the mate that I would choose. I've mentioned it before. If following him means that I can't have the possessions, the kind of house, the kind of car, the kind of life, that's okay. He's worth it. That's, that's heartfelt trust. Really all you need to know is what does he want? And when he's the Lord, then we do what he wants. So Matthew denied himself. He, the Bible says he forsook all, he left all, 
The disciples, it says, James and John, the same thing. Then they forsook their net and followed Christ. Then they forsook their father. That doesn't mean they, they despised those things. It means they left them in order to do what Jesus said. Let me tell you something this morning. You will not be able to follow Christ without it costing you something. Now I'm speaking of discipleship. Your salvation cost Him and not you. But because He's the Savior and you trust Him, then obeying Him, you're going to have to. That's what a cross is. It's not your means of salvation. It is your mark of loyalty to Him. I am willing to give up this in order to do what He wants. And you say, I want a Christianity that doesn't do that. You you won't have it. Anything that doesn't cost you in order to obey Him is not Bible Christianity. We don't take up a cross to save ourselves from our sins, but we will take up a cross because He has saved me from my sins. He's worthy. Amen? You know what I believe about Matthew? He understood who Jesus was and believed it with all his heart. And he said, because He is the Son of God, He's worth more than my job. Because He's the Son of God, He's worth more than my future. Because He's the Son of God, He's worth more than my parents. Because He's the Son of God, He is worth more than my children. That's discipleship. Is it true? You know what? My wife is more important to me than anybody else in this room. My wife and children. I love all of you. But they're more precious to me because they're my family. Do you, we think that's appropriate? Why don't we think it's appropriate then for Jesus to be more precious than anybody? Isn't that true? Do we live like it's true? You watch Matthew and you know what I would say? That man obviously trusts Jesus Christ implicitly. I don't find Matthew... By the way, do you ever find him calling Jesus Lord? I don't find it. But his life said so, didn't it? The Bible says... I'm not saying Matthew never called him Lord. <laughs> Throughout the book of Matthew, he did it all again and again. But you realize in Matthew or in Mark's gospel, uh, this rich young ruler comes to Jesus and calls him good master. He had the right verbs, didn't he? Right terminology, right verbiage. We find in Luke chapter 9, a man said, Lord, let me first bury my father. Oh, he called him the right thing. Here in Matthew, or in Luke's gospel chapter 5, it says in verse 27, after these things he went forth and saw a publican named Levi sitting at the receipt of custom and he said to him, follow me. And he said, Lord, I will now follow you wherever you go. No, he just did it. He left all, rose up and followed him. He denied himself. He departed from where he was in order to be where Christ wanted him to be. Did Jesus want him sitting at the receipt of custom? Right then? Did he demand an explanation? Why? Why are you telling me to leave this? Why are you telling me to do this? Or did he just obey? My father always says this. When a parent has a child who always demands an explanation, don't give it. Just give instruction. When a child is willing to obey instruction, then you may give explanation. Otherwise, guess who's in charge? The child. How about us and God? When I'm always demanding him to explain why he wants me to do, guess what I'm saying? I reserve the right to make the final decision. And that's not discipleship. Discipleship is he's Lord. If he says get up and follow, that's what I'll do. And Matthew just got up. Levi left his receipt of custom and followed. Then look at verse 29. And Levi made him a great feast in his own house. Hold on. Didn't he just leave his job? What are you doing giving when he just told you to leave your, your workstation? I think he must have trusted Christ to provide for him. 
I think Matthew believed what he wrote in chapter 6, verse 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Verse 29 says, And he left all, rose up, and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast. Verse 29, His own house, and there was a great company of publicans and of others that sat down with him. Don't miss this. Verse 29 is his devotion. But you realize there was not this close fellowship where souls are getting saved at his table until first Jesus Christ was treated like who he really is. How many of us want to be soul winners? Look, if you're saved, you should have a desire to see somebody else get saved. But we get things out of order. How can I have verse 29 and avoid verses 27 and 28? How can I have Jesus dining at my table and others coming to see how wonderful he is without him costing me running my own life? The great difficulty between man and God is not in the head, it's in the heart. It's a matter of the will. Who is going to determine the direction of my life? And if we truly in our hearts believe that Jesus is who the Bible says he is, what should our response to him be? Can't do it. Later, or just get up and obey. Which should it be? Which is the true relationship of Lord and disciple? Now, I'm not telling you the man in Luke 9 was not truly a believer in Christ, but he had not figured out how that should be incorporated in his life yet. You with me? The disciples had to have three and a half years of figuring out, okay, I am your Lord and Master, but because I am, then you've got to do what I tell you. What was the last words we find Jesus saying in person to Peter in John's Gospel? If I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me, Peter, quit taking the reins and just follow. That's discipleship. This morning, where am I at? Is something worth more to me than the Lord Jesus and I truly don't believe in Him? I just don't actually trust in Him. Or maybe I say, I do believe Him to be Lord and Savior and I plan on following Him, but not yet. Then I'm still running the show and I need to figure out what my faith in Him looks like in a practical way. Or am I over here with Levi at the receipt of custom and I trust Jesus so much that if he says it, I know I can trust him to take care of me and I'll just obey him. Where do you think he wants us to be? Mark 10, Luke 9, or Luke 5? I have no, no doubt where he wants us to be and where we ought to be. The question is this, is my response to the Lord Jesus Christ consistent with the profession of my mouth? I call him Lord and Master, and we should say so. But if he is, then our response ought to be like Levi's at the receipt of custom. It certainly cannot be like the rich young ruler. He flat out said no. If I have to go without riches to have you, I'll keep my riches, and I don't want you. Our world's full of people like that. Maybe you're here this morning, and you've said to the Lord in your heart, not with your mouth, I do intend to obey you someday, but not yet. Can I encourage you this morning to move from there to Luke chapter 5? I assume if you're saved this morning and Christ truly is your Savior, you have an idea of what His next step of obedience for you is. And maybe the next step is just saying, you know what? I've decided no more of this delaying obedience. I'm going to acknowledge Him for who He is. He truly is the Son of God. I truly know it to be so. And if that's true, then I know I can trust Him. And whatever He costs me, He's worth it.